Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 73. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots and sharing our must-see movies and guilty pleasures from the past. That means each episode, one of us gets to choose something, usually something the other person has never seen. Forced viewing ensues. Yes. Manacles, shackles. The eye thingies from Clockwork Orange. The eye thingies from Clockwork Orange, which is a great reference yes. because Malcolm McDowell figures yes. somewhat importantly, yes. significantly, in tonight's film. It's not actually night, and I don't know when you're listening to this. <laughs> we watched it last night, though. But it wasn't my turn, yes. so I should stop talking. Ashley, this time it was your turn to choose the movie, and what did you choose? I chose, and I think we previewed this on the previous episode, although who knows what order you guys listen to these in. Um, <laughs> uh, we decided to do Tank Girl. I We almost didn't do Tank Girl because uh, we hadn't watched it until last night, but um, but we got it in. Um, uh, it's a, a movie, co- comic book adaptation, sort of an indie underground sort of punk style comic book. Called From when? Um, like the early, late 80s, early 90s. 95. Yeah. This was a trick the question movie, for you. The movie came out in 95. Oh, okay. okay. But the, the um, comic obviously came out before that because they had to like write the script and develop it and it's based on the comic. Anyway, so um, directed by Rachel Talalay, who we have seen talk about um, her directing of television for Doctor Who. She mm-hmm. did a bunch of episodes for the Peter Capaldi. She did some of the best episodes yeah. of New Who. Yeah, she won lots of awards for them and such. But she's actually, since Tank Girl, mostly been a television director. But this was sort of her big... Um, she sort of came up... Her daughter had shared the comic book. Mm-hmm. And um, she was interested in making it. So she like shopped it around to different studios. This was like her passion project to get it done. Um, and um, sort of like the last feature that she directed, I think she's starting to do some features for Netflix now, but um, um, mostly been a television director since. Um, she's done a lot of episodes of Riverdale. I think she's one of the main directors of Riverdale. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she worked with John Waters. Yes, so that's that's so interesting. Which I didn't know until today. Yeah, and, and like when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that explains a lot of the influences and references in there because like I was noticing like at sort of like, I didn't know if it was the age that it was made, but a very sort of references towards um, like mid-century iconography like Doris Day and Elvis and that sort of thing. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. She was a... A producer on Hairspray and um, Crybaby, I think. But yeah. she also worked on Polyester as a Which came out production assistant or something like yeah. that. And then she, she did a lot of work on um, the the Friday series, the later... Uh, uh, the Friday the 13th thir- 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 No, 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 you're wrong. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare, thank you. Yes. I always get them confused. She so. worked on the first four Nightmare on Elm Street movies and then directed... Freddy's Revenge, Freddy's Nightmare. Is yeah, that, what is it? Like Which that. one was that? In '91, yeah, yeah, that was. So, um, Tank Girl um, is it's a post-apocalyptic. Can you say <laughs> that again for our viewers? Post-apocalyptic. Um, our viewers, okay. Um, sort of action adventure film, but but with a female protagonist, which is. Um, 
cool. So it's sort of, I guess the comic was set in Australia. It's not clear from the movie that it's set in Australia. But no, I didn't get that at all. Um, Except for... The, the Rippers are like kangaroo hybrids. Um, so that would make a lot more sense if you knew that it was set in Australia. So I think it, it you know, it drew on Mad Max as an influence for the comic book. Um, and so there is sort of a definite like Mad Max feel. Um, I probably would have seen this on video. Um but I remember it being a film that I watched a bunch when I was... Like what age? 15, 16. It came out in 95, so it would have been 14. I probably didn't see it till it was on video, which would have been about two years later. So I was probably 16, 17 when I saw it. And I remember really liking it. Um, I watched it multiple times. I don't think I ever owned it, but I remember that I'd seen it a lot. And... and you know, something about the way it looked and the way it felt just stuck in my brain. I didn't remember a lot about the plot, but I did remember a lot about the... I don't remember a lot yeah. about the plot today. Yeah. <laughs> I did remember, you know, the main character and sort of the feel and the look of the film. Um, so I was kind of hesitant to bring it to show you because I wasn't sure if I remembered it as... Yeah, you I know, if it, I mean, like when I went back and watched Jawbreaker, which is another movie that I liked when I was younger, it just would, it didn't hold up mm-hmm. the same way. And I remember watching Jawbreaker a lot, and it has a lot of the same sort of like candy colored, dark, you know, comedy type stuff. But Jawbreaker just didn't hold up. This was fun to watch. Um, Wait, so would you have been in high school that you said 15, 16 yeah, when you yeah. saw this? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not we don't always still like the things we liked. When we were, <laughs> sometimes they're, they're our favorite things still. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so I mean, like I wrote down a bunch of stuff that I didn't realize how like this brought up a lot of of stuff about when I was young and the kind of music that I like to listen to and the clothes I like to wear and like um, I don't know if I was just I don't know and and yeah so that's. It ended up, I didn't realize that there would be so many, like, connections and and stuff. I wouldn't have guessed that it would have, I don't know if it was, like, a direct inspiration. It's not a direct inspiration like My So-Called Life is in my life, but it's, there's something about it that that really appealed that, to me. And still does, actually. So I, I don't know, it was fun watching it last night. Maybe you like badass, countercultural, feminist cult yeah. movie icons i do <laughs> it's true it's true <laughs> and and so you never saw this at all or no. heard of it or no i've heard of it i yeah. was aware of it i remember seeing seeing the trailers for yeah. it i remember probably clicking by on cable but i never saw it yeah i didn't really know anything about it i don't know what i was watching instead in 95 yeah I have to think about that <laughs> but i mean i i was always open to insane cult movie types of things. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know. It must've been circumstances. I would have, I think I would have really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, it, it kind of has that, it, it has a similar, uh, it's not really similar, but it reminds me of the vibe of like repo man or something mm-hmm. like that. That yeah. kind of fuck you punk rock. Yeah. Weird, surreal. Yeah. Cult movie kind of thing. And, um, Repo Man was directed by an Australian filmmaker. So there's yeah. that connection to Alex Cox. I don't know what it is. And it came about 10 years before. So, I mean, I would think definitely Mad Max, Road Warrior, 
And maybe that kind of sensibility of Repo Man or Alex Cox films or, or yeah. something is that like he did some he did some weird like latter day cult movie yeah. spaghetti like his take on like an Australian spaghetti western kind of thing and he would cast like Joe Strummer from The Clash so he mm. did this kind of thing around the same time or maybe yeah. five years before or I'm, I'm not sure but it seems to come out of that I like that stuff yeah so let's set the scene a little bit talk to talk to me about the character of Tank Girl and what this post-apocalyptic world world is I can't say it either yeah <laughs> And, like, what's at stake here? What's going on in this movie? So, I mean, like, my feeling is from from reading about it, I've never read the actual comic, but the comic was a very much, like, uh, not anachronistic, anarchist. Thank you. Anarchist. <laughs> I can't say post-apocalyptic. <laughs> it might be an anachronistic, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Doris Day? No. Um, sort of an anarchist, rebel, punk kind of thing, and so... The comic is Tank Girl is the lead character of the comic, obviously. It's called Tank Girl. She lives in her tank. Her tank is her, like, best friend and, like, you know, symbol of her lover and all of these things. Um, So the movie kind of... Apparently the comic was very, um, like, they played around with time and, you know... So it was just sort of events happening. There wasn't really any plot to the... So there isn't really much plot going on in this film at all, but um, Tank Girl is... They kind of set up a structure where... Tank Girl origin story. Yes, Tank Girl origin story. So she's living in a house with some people in this post-apocalyptic... A comet came and hit the Earth. Um, The Earth is a giant desert. um, And the people who have the power are the people who have water. Water. Yeah. Sounds like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Which may have been influenced in I absolutely one hundred percent think Charlie's there and comes straight out of Tank Girl yeah. <laughs> and, and that movie comes out of this too. So it's funny to see the play back and forth on this because like it's obvious there's like a cultural communication going on about these post apocalyptic wars. But anyway, um so Tank Girl is out on watch. Um she's got a family of people who are stealing water from the water plant. Um, and the, the water and power people have an army and they come and take, um, they kill tank girl's boyfriend. They kill all her friends. They steal, um, the little girl that she lives with. Um, and then they take tank girl prisoner. Um, and so that's sort of the origin story. And she ends up in the water and power, like essentially as, as forced labor, um, in the area where they keep their tanks and jets and things, because water and power is the army, because water is power. Um, yes, but see, Tank Girl is special. She's not just any minion because she killed eight henchmen. Yeah, uh, yeah. For water and power, just in them trying to capture her. Mm-hmm. So um, you forgot to mention our evil mastermind. Our evil mastermind, Malcolm McDowell. We promised yes. you Malcolm McDowell. He plays <laughs> Kesley. He's. Uh, one of those wonderful Malcolm McDowell chewing the scenery with his, you know, squinting evil eyes. And, yeah. uh, Everyone has like neon blue eyes in this movie. Like it's yeah. crazy. Lori Petty, who so, plays Tank Girl, has bright blue eyes, like piercing. It's <laughs> true. And I, you know, and there's that scene where he's like torturing her in the, um, I think he has her in a, a freezer or something like that. 
Oh, yeah. And, like, her, she just, I mean, like, I don't know, something about the way that they did her makeup, and she's, like, looking up at him with these, like, bright, like, piercing. It's pretty incredible, like... Apparently the studio cut the torture scene because they said she looked too ugly. She in looked too scene. ugly. Yeah. Well, she she looked pretty ugly. There's but plenty of other torture. You aren't scenes. expected to look attractive while you're being tortured. That seems like it's funny though because in the scene the after that she be. had her makeup done again, but she was still basically in captivity. Yeah. So it was kind of. I think it was when they were going to put her into the tube. Yeah. The claustrophobia tube. Claustrophobia tube. Which I guess, which I thought was pretty cool because yeah. I've never really seen that done in a movie as a torture device. Yeah. They kind of drop her down a pipe. Yes, that narrows and narrows and narrows until you get like stuck and fall then you, and wedged in. And then you're hanging there with your head sort of hanging at an angle, I guess. And then, and then you're just there with your thoughts, I guess. Is the is the big and you're thing. stuck and claustrophobic yeah. and freaking out. Yeah, but I mean, like. I guess the plot ultimately doesn't matter all that much. It kind of feels like she's just wandering around. It's not clear what her goals are, are, you know, first it's to escape. And then, you know, then she wants to steal a tank. And then... And then they go to save Sam, the little girl. Yeah. But I didn't get that. I don't know if I missed dialogue or what, but I was like, why did they go to this weird strip club all of a sudden? And then it seemed like the girl happened to be there. But I guess they were told that she was there and that was actually their goal was to go there and save the girl. So that's, it it kind of jumps around in a weird place. So apparently there's a scene um, with... The, there's the other woman. So there's three main characters in the comic. Tank Girl, Jet Girl, and... Sub girl, submarine girl. But the thing is, is the way they cut the film, they got rid of two scenes with sub girl. So there's that one scene with the weird girl who has the Doris Day sculpture that the little girl had carved for for Tank Girl. Yeah. Um, and that's when they discovered that the little girl's been taken. Um, so. And then... I know I was tired. Yeah. But I absolutely don't even remember the character Subgirl whatsoever. She was the one with the, like, red hair, and she was wearing, like, a, a shirt with the lips on it, and, like, they were in her... Like, it looked like an art studio or something like that, but I guess it was her submarine, although it wasn't clear that it was her submarine. I must anyway, have been dehydrated or blacked out or yeah, something. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> I there's apparently were originally two more scenes with Subgirl. Okay. She was more of a character... Because she was a major character in the comic book series, but like... I have like strangely no memory of her. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I think like some of it was like edits done by the studio that kind of like hurt the continuity of things mm-hmm. and, and how the story flowed because it did feel kind of choppy. But like some of that I thought could be excused by the sort of like anarchist nature of the comic and sort of it like didn't bother me all yeah, that much yeah it's like i, think, I wasn't watching it necessarily yeah. for the story and for no. every the plot to completely make sense <laughs> you're watching it because you're on like a wild ride yeah. kind of thing um so yeah anyway they end up in a um to save the little girl who's being um you know essentially sex trafficked um I hope we got to her before she was. Yeah, I think so. Before Iggy Pop got to that her. Because that disturbing. was Iggy Pop's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Re- I didn't recognize him at the time, but yeah. that was Iggy Pop. Yeah. Who wants a schoolgirl type. And then basically they saved the girl before she Yeah, and she goes she's like 12 him. or something like that. Little girl. They said she was 10. Okay, so yeah. Anyway, they, they save her and then there's a musical number. And then they get captured again. Was it Let's Do It? 
Cole yeah, Porter? Yeah, yeah, let's the Cole Porter musical number, which was fun. Okay, yeah, so in the <laughs> middle of all this, in, in the club, what's the name of the club again? I can't Silver remember. something. Silver Linings? Silver. Liquid Silver. Liquid Silver, that's right. <laughs> all of a sudden, they just kind of stop and have this musical number. Yeah. <laughs> she forces the madam to to start singing. Yeah. And then it turns into a huge production number with the little Busby Berkeley nod. Oh, yeah, it was pretty good. The it was good bug, stuff. Bugly Ber- and then they end up wondering the desert looking for help to get the girl back by, uh, and they meet the kangaroo hybrid men, you the, know. The Rippers? The Rippers, yes. Is that what they're called? Yeah. And then they have to prove themselves to the Rippers um, before the Rippers will help them uh, save the girl. So that's kind of the whole So apparently thing. the Rippers were like state-of-the-art yeah. makeup. Yeah. Looked pretty funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> I guess things have changed in... Uh, well, I, I don't think I would have preferred commuter, computer animation. I always like practical effects and real makeup and, and stuff like that. But Well, apparently but, in, <laughs> in the comic, they were actually like... They more, were more kangaroo-y. Yeah. And like she had... I mean, like it's implied in the movie, but apparently she has an ongoing sexual relationship with one of them in the comics, and like people were like flat out opposed to her. Like the studio having like, a, having don't a do relationship. That in the movie. Yeah, you have to make them seem like people before she gets. They're just friendly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I think you could make them, you know, have some more features of people. <laughs> And just have, like, a few kangarooizing things without them be- Yeah, the makeup was not great. You know, I didn't think, but... But it was done by Stan Winston, who was the... You know, no. this was, like, the best of... Well, the ears the best moved. The best that was it. pretty good. Yes, the ears moved. They were on remote control, apparently. I was reading about the effects. It's kind of awesome. But, wait, but you know, then you have some fun stuff with casting, because, like, Ice-T is one of them. Yeah, Ice-T is and one. And he had second billing in the movie, and we're, like, 30, 40 minutes in, and I'm like, where's Ice-T? Well, and they did play some of his music towards yeah. the end. Um, so, I, I, I mean, like, as far, it wasn't, it's not, like, the best movie, but it was a lot of fun to watch. You know, I really enjoyed it, and, like, I was actually sort of astounded by the, I mean, like, there are some, still some, like, 90s sexism embedded in it. We can't escape it. It was there. You know, you can't. But actually, I was sort of surprised by the overall kind of anarchist feminist message there that that I wasn't expecting it to be as progressive as it was. There was still some sort of anti-progressive stuff, like the whole subplot of uh, Nomi Watts being... Um, um, you know, manhandled by the other kangaroo when she wasn't, she was clearly not into it, you know? Oh, yeah. It's like half of her plot was, like, good, and then they went and ruined it. Because, like, half of the plot is she's being sexually terrorized by one of the guards. Modern power guards. Yeah, and and she, like, part of her story is that she, like, breaks free and separates herself from that and stops being, you know, letting herself be... Um, you know, controlled. Yeah. But the other part of that is like, she leaves that and then goes into a situation where this is kangaroo man that will not take no for an answer. And that never really got resolved. So I was a little bit frustrated with that storyline. Yeah. But other than that, I think like, I I was really interested in, in the, you know, the whole like, you know, you know, 
speaking back to power and, you know, not letting yourself be controlled in your mind, even if you can't control about what's happening to your body and um, all this. I don't know. And I, I don't know. I was kind of impressed, actually, you know. <laughs> I can't believe Naomi Watts was in this. Yeah. Baby Naomi Watts. Yeah. She was so young. <laughs> and she was brunette. Yeah. I don't think she actually is, though. I don't know what she actually is. I'm used yeah. to seeing her blonde in, like, the David Lynch movies. Yeah. <laughs> she was um, Jet Girl. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she's... She comes across... Uh, you know, Tank Girl comes across her as, you know, someone who's uh, a pilot. She's a talented uh, pilot, but she's also a repair person. And so she's working for this company to repair their jets as if... Do they not have anybody else to repair their jets? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like a figure of speech, repair yeah. their jets. It sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> well, I guess Who repairs she, their jets? She's, yeah, she's technically um, savvy, I guess. Um, but I just, Lori, Lori, uh, Pe- uh, what's her name? Lori, Lori Petty. Petty, who plays Tank Girl, just has this like, I mean, like, She's fun and funny, but she's also, like, serious. I don't know. It's it's a very interesting thing. And, like, it's funny. I was reading... Uh, I, th- I occasionally read the AV Club to see what they had to say about it, because sometimes they have a different perspective. But the re-review of it by Nathan Rabin, which I think was in 2007... He was like, he completely tore it apart. Like, he didn't appreciate any of the stuff that I appreciated about the He probably the film. did it for his My Year of Flops call. Yeah, it was my, my Year of Flops that he did. But he just completely ripped it up. And I was like, he didn't even seem to appreciate any of the... But I think that recently there was a re-release of it in 2015. And there's been several other sort of like re-watches where people have talked about how, you know, it does have a surprisingly good feminist message you know considering the time frame that and i think that probably had to do with the source material and the fact that they had a woman director and women writers working on it and and katherine hardwick production design yeah and it probably wasn't that many well well i guess it was about 10 years later she did um 13 was one of her first yeah and 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 twilight of course yes (laughs) she's a writer on twilight um (laughs) So, I, I don't know, I just, well, I, I guess I'll start with the, the first thing that, like, really hit me, and of course it would, is the music. Like, I think they start off with, like, some, like, really crunchy 90s guitar, and I was like, yes, this is the kind of music that I grew up on. This is what <laughs> I listened to in high school, which was, like, like... 90s college college radio Mm -hmm. um but like not like i listened to college radio so i wasn't listening to you know the beat 102.5 or whatever you know that was all you know pop music and but i was listening to this sort of like counterculture left of center kind of music you know so they they play they have an l7 song prominently which is like riot girl 
mm-hmm. kind of kind of stuff from the Pacific Northwest. They had Hole. Um, there's Bush songs. There's Portishead. Um, they had Joan Jett and, and Paul Westerberg. And Paul Westerberg did a cover of the Cole Porter song. And then you started singing the Bjork song. Yeah. So I <laughs> loved Bjork. I love Bjork. I I that time frame the sort of Army of Me. Yeah. I think they used Army of Me. Yeah, Gain that's on the, one they had the soundtrack but um i was super there was some devo on there mm-hmm. um they had an iggy pop song ice t did a, a song on there i just it was like the kind of music that i i listened to and it's weird to hear that in 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 movies because I guess the kind of music that I listened to didn't get used in movies very often. No, but that's the stuff that people were actually listening to yeah. on college campuses. <laughs> that's <and> right. <laughs> so it was kind of strange to to hear that, but this is this would have been my like my playlist that I listened to. Like I had that Bjork CD. You know, I listened to Hole a bunch. I had that Bush CD that came out at that time. You know, it's just it was like I I, I love that Veruca Salt album. So good. Anyway. <laughs> well, the soundtrack was still known as being a great soundtrack. Yeah. And apparently it was like number 72 on the Billboard charts. It did way better than the movie ever yeah, did. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> and we were watching and I was like, where can we get the soundtrack? <laughs> Is it too late to get the soundtrack? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they think that it that it may have influenced stuff like you know, the Fury Road, I think it was influential for Ghost World, you know, which came Explain. out. Explain, you have to unpack that one for me. Well, I mean, Ghost World came, the comic Ghost World came out after. Yeah. Um, And then the movie Ghost World, yeah. you know, so I mean, like the same sort of, I don't know, it's the same similar sort of aesthetic to me and the similar sort of attitude, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Is it just that attempt to, like, make a comic book film? Maybe. So I liked every once in a while, one of the mm-hmm. things I liked about the aesthetic or the way the movie was put together was it didn't always matter, like, if A connected to B because yeah. you would just suddenly have, like, a really loud guitar slash yeah. <laughs> and, like, comic images, like, I montage. Love the, I love the montage of comic <laughs> so images. So they were great. And that's been done a lot since then. But it still looked awesome and fresh and carried a lot of energy that, you know, keeps the momentum of the movie going. Well, they made some really beautiful, um, like, they they have music montages with actually animated comics. So it looks like still comics. It was a really interesting transition because you'll have, like, what looks like a still image from a comic, but the camera moves around it. Mm -hmm. And then you countercut that with like actual moving comic images so so it was like still image and then animation it was really and sometimes really it cool. would dissolve back to live action yeah you know if it was like a fight going on mm. you would get bursts of it as comic montage yeah. and then maybe they would come out of it in in live action again i mean it was yeah kind of intercut and would dissolve Back and forth well, to the know, live action. It's interesting. I know it's not very popular, um, but Ang Lee did a version of the Hulk before um, before the Avengers came out um, with uh, Eric. Is it Eric Bana that's in it? I think is the Hulk. He was the Hulk. I don't know if he was in Ang Lee's The Hulk. I I'm pretty I, sure I, it I was Eric Bana. He's far more serious than Mark Ruffalo, but he did a lot of the sort of like taking comic book panels 
So he would have like multiple action things, you know, so yeah. it would look like a comic book panel, but it would be like moving action in it. Um, so, I mean, like, I think it's really interesting when people use the sort of visual nature of comics and, and help that translate into the film because essentially comics are storyboards, you know, and why not use some of that dynamic visual energy that they have in your but film? But you also got, they also used the color palette of, yeah. of comics. They I did. Think, because the bright greens mm-hmm. and reds and blues. Yeah. Kind of lurid. Yes. <laughs> but in a good way? It's over, <laughs> over, what is it, oversaturated yeah. a little bit, you know? Um, yeah, it was. Apparently, I'm happy that it still worked for you. Yeah, I was excited that it worked for me. You've mentioned this movie off and on for a couple of years since we've been doing the podcast, and I think you always talk yourself out of it, not knowing if it's going to hold up or something. Well, I mean, like I think I remembered, like you know, being sixteen, seventeen. It has it's rated R. It's got some very overt sexual references i didn't realize there was the i didn't real i didn't remember the pedophilia thing at all yeah um with <laughs> with Iggy pop but um yeah i was like yeah. is this happening is so this what's going so it felt like something i mean like i imagine that it probably stuck with me because i like rented it on the sly from hastings or something like that cuz um I had my own car at Hastings and drive into Lubbock and get whatever you want. Yeah, or I I might have gotten it at the Blockbuster. That was we had to drive. Okay, where I grew up, we had to drive thirty minutes to get to the Blockbuster, but they had the best like weird films. That that Lubbock Blockbuster had a bunch of really weird stuff. Um, don't know why, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe that's for the college campus. But it seems like it would have been something that I watched late at night on my little TV that I had in my bedroom. Um, I would have watched this on yeah. my 13 inch. If, yeah, if it, it was were, a 13 inch. It was when a, I was in high school. Yeah. I had my little 13 inch TV, TV. Yeah, and you'd watch whatever weird shit you recorded on Cinemax in the middle of the night. Yeah, so your so your parents didn't know that you were watching. That's it. how I saw Clockwork Orange for the first time. Yeah, because if I watched this in the living room, my mom would have been like, "What are you, what watching? Are you watching?" You know, so. <laughs> My favorite story about that sort of thing is, um, I don't remember when exactly Boogie Nights um, came out, sometime in that that time (laughs) period. Anyway, we drove to Lubbock and were able to get in, um, even though I don't think we were old enough. I was 17, I probably would have been able to get. So anyway, I drove into Lubbock by myself and went to see Boogie Nights, and we told my mom that we went to see Titanic instead, (laughs) because it was in the theater at the same time. so I guess I would have been 17 then. Did she try to quiz you on what happened oh, no. in Titanic? No. Well. No. I'd already seen Titanic. It hit the iceberg. I'd already and... seen Titanic once. So yeah. I just said that we were seeing it again, even though yeah. we were. It's about the same length. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but like, you know, six months later or whatever, whenever Boogie Nights came out on VHS or DVD or whatever, my mom rented it. But like. So I was like, oh, Chris, that's a good movie. We should watch it when mom's out of the house. Did she know it was an expose of the porn industry? I I think she knew what it was. I don't know if she did, but um, that's also an oversaturated film. Uh, (laughs) um, She hid, like, her and my dad were going to go out for the evening. So me and my brother were like, we'll watch Boogie Nights while mom and dad are out of the house. Well, my mom took the VHS and hid it somewhere. So we couldn't watch it. (laughs) But you already seen it. 
Well, she didn't know I had already seen it, but she also probably didn't want my 15-year-old brother to watch it, but yeah, whatever. I'm not permanently damaged from watching uh, P.T. Anderson films. Well, I am, but aren't we all? Um. <laughs> I think Blue Velvet was one of the first movies I sort of I snuck into some, somewhat underage, and yeah. I am permanently damaged. Yeah, well, yeah, that's uh, Boogie Nights. Well, I mean, I mean, other than than the drug abuse stuff, it wasn't it wasn't too scarring or anything like that, you know. But uh, yeah, it has something of that sort of getting away with something by by watching this adult movie in the middle of the night kind of thing. You know, like the first time I saw Heather's was like at a sleepover in the middle of the night when their parents were asleep, you know. So it feels like you're getting away with something by watching that sort of thing. Um. This movie was just the right length. Yeah. You know, this kind of a movie, this kind of edgy crazy insane punk cult movie has to be about 89 minutes or something yeah. that's just the right length yeah that's my point that's all i was gonna say <laughs> that's all it's, it was the right length so weird details of the world building that i liked that stuck with me that i thought were cool and nifty the um the murder device they have that like they they stab you in the back with the with the prongs. Oh, yeah, the, the water-sucking... The water-sucker thing. They stab in someone's back and With then the it collapsible sucks. water tube thingy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it and then it drains the person of their bodily yeah. water. Yeah. And then they, they, like, shrink up into shriveled, you know, dry corpse. <laughs> yeah. And then you've... And, of course, you have to have Malcolm McDowell, like, raise an eyebrow and drink the water that he just yeah. uh, killed his uh, henchman with. Well, one thing that somebody pointed out is like, why are they sucking water out of people's blood? Why don't they just recycle their urine? <laughs> like, well, what's wrong do, with these they people? Do that, they do that too, because do you remember the rules of the slave area? Oh, okay. One of them was you must recycle all bodily fluids. Okay. You must, like, they were... Well, that was a cool scene too, where she's taking a shower, but the shower is sand. So she uses the yeah, sand. Yeah, that's to another clean great out. detail. That was yeah. another one. I forgot to write that down. Yeah, and like they're like shower in your underwear because we're not going to wash anything but your work clothes. Um, it was interesting about like water conservation <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic world. You know, um, it didn't seem like there were that many people though, so maybe like. They didn't need to conserve water quite as much. I don't know. I don't know how dire the water situation is. Um. <laughs> I gather that it was pretty dire. Pretty dire. <laughs> well, and also interesting to me is a lot of the desert scenes were filmed in White Sands, New Mexico, which yeah. is a place where I grew up. We visited quite a bit. It was about an hour and a half from She's my like, house. I grew up in White Sands, New Mexico. Well, I mean, I lost many a, you know, turquoise and silver uh, souvenir ring in the White Sands. <laughs> Luckily, my dad Stop never lost that. his glasses <laughs> in the White Sands. Did but... you ever shower with a White Sands uh, sand shower? No, I, I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a weird area over there. And then, uh, you know, parts of it were filmed... Um, Near Tucson as well, so it's it's a very much a place. southwest. Isn't Talalay live in Santa Fe? Is that right? Who? Uh, Rachel Talalay. 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 Sorry, I don't know where she lives. I thought she I said something about in living in um, Santa Fe or something like that. Oh, you know what? I think she's a. I think she teaches uh, at a university or something in British Columbia, yeah. but I don't know if that's current. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, not if she's full-time director on Riverdale. That's, I don't know if she still is. Well, I don't think she's full-time. I mean, because she directs other things, too. She, I mean, her latest thing was something for Netflix, so... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Um, so, interesting also tie-in is we watched... Um, and we almost did the podcast over Promising Young Woman, which is a 2021 film with uh, Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Um, we nearly watched that because that's what we watched well, we this weekend. We did watch that. Yeah. You mean we nearly covered we it on the podcast? We never covered it on the podcast, which was produced by Margot, Rob- Mar- Margot Robbie's production company. And she actually has been looking into making another Tank Girl film. Really? Yeah. How did you stumble on that factoid? I was searching AV Club and Tank Girl, and it's just a little news feature. So it's, I think it's technically in development. But two years ago, she was looking for a director for a Tank Girl film. And, like, to be honest, like, something about Promising Young Woman and then watching this film, like, mm-hmm. there was, I mean, like, Promising Young Woman... Is a fascinating film. I would love to talk about it, but um, it's it's dark, it's funny, it's feminist as hell. You know, it's it's it, it's a hard thing to watch, but it's it's amazing. Like, I think there's some there's some like like the something about Carrie Mulligan's character who is very different than Tank Girl. Something about her, like, I don't give a fuck attitude. Well, she's on a revenge quest, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and something like And they're both like in Lord... a world of male abusers. Yeah. Tank Girl is very much every man in the movie is like a potential abuser, rapist, yeah. assaulter. And she, she, I mean, like, the same sort of thing. Like, they don't let it phase them from whatever. I mean, and I think Carrie Mulligan's character is obviously more driven. But Tank Girl still has the same, like, I don't give a fuck you know, about what you do to me or what you say to me. I am me. This is who I am. This is what I do. You know, this Which is... I don't think we're used to seeing that with yeah. female characters. Mm. That's, I mean, that's a kind of a standard male action movie cliche. Yeah. But when you give it to Laurie Petty, and this has never really been done yeah. before, it feels like, I mean, it's do. it has a completely different effect. Yeah. <laughs> that it's a woman. You yeah, know. it does. It does. It, it, you know, and it's interesting. It is like a real action movie. Like, there's like scenes with, you know, semi trucks falling off the edge of cliffs and, and right. firefights and people, you know, doing the, uh, the being killed by machine gun vibrating mo- dance that people do in movies when they're shot by machine and, you know, jumping off of, dead people jumping off of things. You know, when they're shot, sort of... She's never really phased by anything. No, There's no. never... Even when she's being tortured or she's in the tube, she's never really that worried. So, in a way, the stakes aren't... I mean, that's... if there, I don't know if it's a complaint, but it's like... It never feels like she considers that she's in any jeopardy. Yeah. In a certain way. Well, I mean, in a sense, like... Okay, so the comet hit the Earth. Like, a bunch of people died... You have to like fight for your water and your food. I mean, like I see what essentially, you're like what? How, how much? Could it possibly how much get any work? worse than this? Like, <laughs> I love how she has this scene with um, Malcolm McDowell, and he's trying to like 
break her emotionally and he's trying all this stuff and she finally says something that pisses him off so much that he grabs a gun from the guard behind him and holds it to her head and she says I won Mm -hmm. you know you know you can you can shoot me but I you didn't break me I I mean like I, I think that she's at that point where like you know life is fun but you but know, look at this world we're yeah, in. Yeah, it's no you, big loss if you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but you're not gonna you're not gonna change who I am or or how I think or make me something else. Which, like, I I I don't know. I I would wish that sort of confidence for myself. You know, <laughs> she's a survivor. She'll survive yeah. at any cost. She's not like she's not gonna give up or she's not going to walk into a battle and try to get killed or anything like that. I mean, yeah. she's, she's going to survive no matter well, what. And obviously she values things like she values the, the little girl. She enjoys what the tank does for her, the symbols that it gives her, you know, but like in, in a world where everything has been taken from you, you know, why not and be yourself entirely and enjoy what you can while you can enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. It's a good message for the end of the world. <laughs> we should have more positive films about uh, the attitude, the proper attitude to strike during the end yeah. of the world. Yeah, and like, you know, I, I I wish they had focused more on Naomi Watts's development, you know, and, and not sort of undercut it with the, the weird non-consensual kangaroo man, but... You know, it's a phrase we can never use for any other film. Non-consensual <laughs> kangaroo man. <laughs> kangaroo man. Um, but yeah, and and like I I don't know. I more I think about, it, I really can see the sort of connection between this and Mad Mark's Fury Road, like how he took the kernel of an idea and made it into something that was a masterpiece by giving you know Shirley Theron's character. Like, a similar sort of, like, I don't give a fuck, but yeah. also, like, giving her more drive to to do... Making it more clear that she has a drive to do the right thing, you know, and... and Yeah. But, I mean, like, it's funny, because the story is the same. It's like the person who has access to the water is the one that has the power, and, you know, he has the women and the, you know, and the weird army of spiky men and... There's you know. only uh, so many plots, <laughs> depending but, on. But I mean, I, you know, I, it's it's a look that I appreciate this sort of combination of like combat boots and like cobbled together clothing that you find, and you know, socks as armbands, and you know, leather straps. I like what you said <laughs> earlier about how these movies are all in dialogue with each other. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it all comes out of Mad Max post yeah. post apocalyptic Australia, and then here this is set in post apocalyptic Australia. Yeah, and it has some of the same sensibility. Yeah, and some of the same aesthetics, well, but it does its own number. It, it it's its own thing too. I mean, I guess what I'm going to say is kind of depressing, but like. More and more I feel like... I mean, I don't know if we're headed to a desert wasteland apocalypse. Maybe we are. I probably won't be around to see it. Thank God. You can be Tank Girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, I'm not young enough. Um, I mean... But, like... Those movies kind of, like, are good at expressing people as how they really are. And, like, 
tearing society down to what like the brass tacks everything gets hidden hidden by like politeness and structure and rules and all this stuff but when you tear it down to like when like there's fights over basic needs and stuff like that there will be some people who sees the things in the name of survival and then will use that for power and to you know self-aggrandizement and that sort of thing and there will be and and then there will be people who fall in line behind them because they have the power. And then there'll be a few people who will do their own thing or do the right thing or, you know, and, and the thing is, is unfortunately that's going to be smaller than the people who fall in line behind the people in power. And like the more I see of the world, the more I realize that that's just how it is. And like these apocalypse movies, like they really show that, you know, um, that that's the reality of what we're dealing with, which is, you know, hard for someone who appreciates, you know, things like art and culture and society and all the great things that man can do when we're not But just take struggling. it all away, yeah, and then if, you'll see who we actually yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, when you're not struggling for for food and for water and for survival, then you can create all these great, beautiful things, but then... You know, you take all that away and we're fighting over scraps and we're nothing. And water. Yeah. We're, I mean, like, you know, a week without heat in the dead of winter in Texas. And, and you could see that. That's right. We you know, our, happening. our week long uh, and post-apocalyptic. And our legislatures who are responsible for the people of Texas, they, instead of doing everything they fucking could to help us out, they started blaming each other and blaming other people instead of focusing on the people who needed help. And so that, to me, is... I mean, they are Malcolm McDowell. They are just here for the power. Governor and Malcolm the, McDowell. Yeah, and the prestige that, that 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 offers them and the control that they get to have over other people, and they don't care about the actual people that they serve. And, you know... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, it was a fun apocalyptic film. <laughs> it's true. With something to say about uh, yeah society. Yeah. Well, as as all just like all zombie films and all all apocalyptic films, you know, They're those, all those are the things we fear the most. <laughs> is you know, and and they all happened this year. <laughs> no wonder we're so burnt out. <laughs> This was the year of the apocalypse and the zombies. <laughs> yes, we had right? zombies and... and COVID-19 uh, is basically the zombie yeah, outbreak. Yeah, localized apocalypse. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Good choice of a movie. Yeah, I, th- I think it's... Um, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm going to add this to the list of like my sort of like influential stuff because I really did really appreciate her fashion and this sort of like fun, punky, asymmetrical, you know, everything with oh, combat her hair. Everything oh, I loved with her. With her hair. like buzzed yeah. hair with it long on one side. Yeah. Like, it changed all the time too. Yeah. You know, so Yeah, it wasn't even internally consistent. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. I don't know that I've ever seen Lori Petty in anything else. She was in Orange is the New Black, which oh, I see, think I never we saw should, that at all. We should watch it because we're watching. Um, oh, it was in Promising Young Woman. Um, has um, the act one of the actresses from Orange in the is the New Black, and it it, um, it also has um, 
uh, Slums of Beverly Hills girl. I can't think of her name. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Natasha. Natasha, yeah. Something. Leon? Leon, yeah. yeah. Um, she's she's in Orange and the New Black, and she's a really interesting character. I really enjoyed the first couple seasons of it. I don't know if it stayed as good, but the first couple seasons were really good. But it's, you know, another one of those, like, seeing women in roles that you don't, next, like, expect them to. You know, that was the other thing that I wanted to say about Tank Girl is that, you know, a lot of times they have these sort of counterculture women in films but they're like highly sexualized, like Poison Ivy from the Batman. Oh yeah, series. but this wasn't like that at all. No, I mean like her sexuality was part of her personality, as it is part of everyone's. But we weren't directed yeah. to look at her with the male gaze and yeah, all that. Yeah, well, sort of except stuff. when she was like seducing her her boyfriend, who actually turned out to be a guard for water and power. But like that was like part of her expressing herself, and such an interesting way of expressing it with the scissors, like. Like, he was into her slicing up her tights or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's you right. Um, but yeah, she, I mean, like, it's interesting to have a character be sexual but not sexualized, you know. Yeah, so exactly. I, I really appreciate that because that's that's what, that seems to, I mean, like, a lot of people don't seem to understand that there's a difference. That you can be a sexual person and talk about sex and enjoy sex, but it's different when people are making you an object rather than you being active in you having the power and people don't understand that sort of relationship between like there are times. Yes, they're true. There are times when you want your partner to objectify you because you're objectifying them and that's, but you're also appreciating them as a person and they're appreciating you as a person. And it's part of the whole like sexual experience and then, you know, it's not the same when it's one-sided and unwanted, you know. So I don't know why people have such a hard time understanding that, you know. that, that Well, I think it's, it, it goes down to that, you know, people have a hard time understanding that women aren't what they expect. Women are individual people with their own ideas about themselves and their own, and like, as a society, it's not just men, but but men are a major part of it is that our society in general doesn't we try to put men and women in groups and the thing is is that we're all individuals and we all have our own ideas and and thoughts and things and if we appreciate that about each other then it's a lot easier to get past this sort of terrible gender politics and you know one one day not soon <laughs> <laughs> But more of that. Always well, we more need of to that. Have more women telling the stories. Yeah. And directing the films and yeah. writing the scripts and yeah. producing the movies and yeah. being the production designer and, and all of that because you that's we need that. We need yeah. those stories. Well and you know, part of it is you know, also like how yeah. You have women telling stories and then they make really good stuff and then boys see it and they see how awesome and individual and interesting women can be and and instead of being afraid of that they can appreciate it for how awesome and amazing and wonderful and sexy that a smart you know intelligent active you know you know all of that can can makes a whole person and that's better than just whatever objectification they've come up with in their brain you know 
Entire humans. <laughs> Entire humans are good. <laughs> we like them. Any last thoughts on uh, Tank Girl? So, so it just one thing that it reminded me of is that I, in the early early part of the internet when you could just start they just started having like online stores where you could order stuff um i came i think i just loved all the graphic t-shirts in this film and it just reminded me that i was obsessed with like graph like weird arty alternative graphic t-shirts when i was in high school and so like i remember i probably influenced a little bit by this film and probably some others as well but like searching online till I found the perfect like jersey style tee which had green sleeves and then it had um like this really neat pop art image on on it um which was like uh, a collage of a picture of um the the Dewey that ran for um president uh-huh so this is a weird bit of okay. library-related thing sure. before I even decided I wanted to be a librarian. So it had a picture of of Dewey that ran for president, whichever one that was, with like, you know, like a bullseye like over his eyes. But underneath it, it said decimal in like weird font. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like So anyway, I ordered that. I had it for years. I, I guess I finally got rid of it, but... Um, I I was way into the graphic t-shirts at the time of, of yeah, like you had like the weird... Who t-shirt in this uh, yeah she this had the Who that she was wearing and then one of the kangaroo dudes was wearing it yeah later. he stole her t-shirt well that's the one she was in a relationship or, or, or some sort of relationship with yes you know? <laughs> some sort of uh, friend overly friendly relationship oh also one more thing it's like it's obvious like one of the kangaroos is supposed to be the stoner kangaroo but they don't show them smoking anything and it's weird that in a rated R film that they made the choice not to. Like, to make it clear that they were intending for one of them to be a stoner kangaroo, but not actually showing him. Oh, he was a stoner kangaroo. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, for me, the only thing that doesn't quite hold up are the, is the kangaroo makeup. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm sure it played better in, in 95. It reminds me of the makeup for um, the the um Chewbacca equivalent um from Spaceballs <laughs> wasn't that John Candy it like was as John a dog Candy. or something yeah as a dog yeah that's kind of looked it was. like a Muppet dog sort yeah, of thing it was very much reminiscent of that you know <laughs> it's another film I watched a lot when I was a kid yeah Spaceballs. I see that one I watched a lot too yeah <laughs> I wasn't a kid though I would have been 10 years older than you so yeah just have you didn't have the excuse. I just like Mel Brooks, I guess. I, <laughs> I like Mel Brooks. <laughs> All right. I think that about wraps it up for, yeah. for Tank Girl. And uh, I have a couple of weeks to think of what we're going to do next. Yeah. I need to pull out a cult movie or something yeah. like that. I, I, I can't. I, I got to think of what is my quote. Cult something movie like summer. This. Yeah. It's a shame we never did Re- Repo Man on the show, but I showed it yeah. to you a year or two before really we even started it. this podcast. Good old Harry Dean. Harry Dean and uh, Iggy Pop on the soundtrack. Yeah. So more connections. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Tell your friends about the show. Follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, subscribe on your podcast app. So you see us as soon as a new episode comes out, you'll get it. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with my pick. Possibly something culty, cult-like. Possibly. 
Although we may not know until hours before we record the show. And we won't know. We won't know. Yeah. Yeah. I have to pace around the house with two or three DVDs in my hand and look really stressed out for a while before I settle on whatever it is we watch. It's my process. <laughs> That's how it goes. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.